I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. And here are the hosts of the Lore Love Podcast. John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tackle Box Beat. Hey, John and Lucy, the Lure Love Podcast is going places. We just won two awards from the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers. They're also known as Aglow. And Aglow was founded in 1956. It's one of the oldest outdoor communicator associations in the country. Today, they have more than 400 members. So the competition is really steep in this annual awards competition. Congratulations, guys. I must say, you do pretty good work for being human. You don't compare with my processing power, but still pretty good for humans. Thanks, Lucy. Now, I wasn't at the award dinner. I wasn't able to make it. But I can imagine that the attendees arrived in chauffeur-driven ATVs. And (laughs) instead of a red carpet, they had a camo carpet that people walked along. And there were probably swag bags filled with the latest lures and gears. I can just imagine the after party with the uh, the booze flowing and the fish stories flowing. It must have been just an amazing event. Absolutely. Wow. You paint a really nice pictures. That's fantastic. You know, true or not, you know, now I've got I've got fish tanks, you know, giant <laughs> fish tanks and life like marsh grass running on either side of the, the aisle to go in. And of course, they had venison or a fish fry or something right for the dinner. Um, yeah, boy, I'm excited. I'm excited. What category did we win? Most handsome hosts? Well, we, I think we, we got miscongeniality in that, that uh, category, <laughs> but we took third place for the best website for lurelovepodcast.com, our podcast website. And, you know, in addition to the podcast episodes, you can read our blog there, follow social media posts, enter to win contests, and even send an audio question or comment. Plus, you just added some great Lure Love t-shirts and other merch to the site. So we were stoked. We've only been doing this a little while, and the website um, already took third place. Hey, that you know, well-deserved, and I can take, let's see, how much credit? Zero. <laughs> no, thank you so much, Tim, for creating that beautiful website, and it is I know what goes into that because I've built one myself and uh, I needed counseling afterwards. So um, anyhow, excellent job, my friend. Excellent job. But come on, tell us the big story. The big story this is what I'm most excited about. We took first place for the best fishing blog post for a, a post on the Lure Love website. And it was something that I wrote a humorous essay called Deer in a Kayak. John, would you like to hear the winning essay? Absolutely. Okay, here it comes. circus i once saw a chimpanzee on a tricycle and on youtube i've seen a dog on a skateboard and a squirrel on water skis but those pale in comparison to what i saw last weekend while fishing it was a deer in a kayak i often see deer when fishing on this particular river and i see a lot of kayaks on the river too but this was the first time i had ever seen them combined as i looked upstream I could see the kayak come round the bend. At that distance, everything looked pretty normal. Just another yakker coming to disrupt my fishing. It was a common occurrence, 
and the kayak didn't seem to be in a hurry as it slowly floated downstream. But as the kayak got closer, I noticed two things. First, the kayaker wasn't holding a paddle. Second, the kayaker had the skinniest arms I had ever seen. And as it got still closer, I thought, that guy has the largest ears I've ever seen. And as the kayak got even closer, I thought, that guy looks like an Odicolius virginianus, a white-tailed deer. I rubbed my eyes and looked again. I was fishing for catfish in a few of the deeper holes in the river and thought the new bait I was testing might be clouding my brain. The bait was a large container of catfish dip that should have included a gas mask with every container. The instructions even said not to let the dip come in contact with your skin. When I opened the container and looked inside, I knew immediately that putting my nose directly over the dip was a colossal mistake. It was like being punched in the face with an angry skunk that had just finished eating a dozen rotten eggs and rolling in cow manure. As a kid, I'd heard of a practical joke where you put dog poop in a paper bag, place it on someone's porch, light the bag on fire, ring the doorbell, and run. When the homeowner sees the burning bag and stomps out the flames, their shoe gets covered with dog poop. I'm not saying this is a classy practical joke to pull on someone, and I don't even know if anyone actually ever tried it. It might have been one of those tales told by kids who always credit the story to their out-of-town cousin's classmate's older brother or some other inaccessible person who can't corroborate the story. But after getting a strong right uppercut of catfish dip in both nostrils, I realized the practical joke would have been much more effective if the dog poop was replaced with catfish dip. The only problem would be that the homeowners would have to throw away their shoes and possibly tear down their porch to get rid of the smell. But back to the deer in the kayak. What had fooled me at first was that the deer was sitting upright in the kayak seat, like a person, with its hind legs in the kayak, its head held high in the air, and its front legs hanging in front of it. I knew it was hunting season, and often saw deer crossing the river and in the woods. As the kayak came close, I could also see that in the deer's lap, if deer have laps, was a bow. The deer was clearly dead, but its open eyes eerily stared straight ahead. This opportunity was too good to be true. No, I wasn't going to take the deer, but where there's a deer in a kayak, there's likely to be a frantic hunter upstream trying to catch up with it, and I was going to enjoy our conversation as much as possible. Knowing the river well, I could tell the kayak would beach itself around the next bend, so I let it continue on its way and listen for sounds coming downstream. It wasn't long before I could hear someone crashing through the shallows at the edge of the river. I would say the hunter was cursing like a sailor, but the cursing was much more like someone who had lost his kayak, deer, and bow. I just casually continued fishing. When he got close, he stopped, caught his breath, and asked, Did you see a kayak come by here? Yeah, I said casually. About a dozen kayaks have come by this morning. This one had a deer in it, he said expectantly. A deer, I said, scratching my head. Yeah, he said, a deer. What color was the kayak, I asked. What color was the kayak, he stammered. What difference does the color of the kayak make? It had a deer in it. Well, I said, quite a few kayaks have come down the river today, just trying to narrow it down. Did you know the deer? What do you mean, did I know the deer, he said, getting angry. I shot it. 
What did you shoot it with, I asked. A bow, he said, getting exasperated with me. But you don't have a bow, I said. His mouth opened and then closed for a second. The deer has the bow in the kayak, he said sheepishly. Well, why didn't you say that at the beginning, I said, as if we were getting somewhere. I did see a deer go by in a kayak with a bow, but I don't think it's the one you're looking for. What do you mean, he asked. Well, the deer that came by sitting in the kayak with a bow was dead, and I think it was a self-inflicted wound. Self-inflicted, he asked? Well, deer don't take hunting safety classes, and my guess is he didn't know how to handle the bow and shot himself, poor guy. I shot him. He didn't shoot himself, the hunter said defensively. Well, there's really no way to know for sure, since there weren't any witnesses. I was a witness. I shot it, he countered. It's just your word against the word of the dead deer, and I don't think that's going to hold up in a court of law. Where's my kayak now, he asked. It went around the bend. It probably beached itself there. Why didn't you stop it from going downstream, he asked in desperation. Well... First, I don't usually talk to kayakers who go past here, and I didn't want to get into some big conversation with a deer while I was fishing. And second, when the game warden showed up, I'm not sure he'd believe that I found the deer, dead, sitting in the kayak with a bow and me with no hunting license. Well, you do have a point there, he said. Yeah, I've watched enough episodes of Northwood's Law to know not to be caught with a dead deer in a kayak. What happened, I asked him. He shook his head. I used the kayak to get to that island upstream. That way I left no scent getting there. Within 15 minutes I saw the deer and shot it. My plan was to put the deer in the kayak and float it down to the next bridge to take it out. I tried tying the deer to the kayak, but the deer kept falling over the edge, so I tied it into the seat. But while I was taking a leak, the kayak got away from me. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that story, I said. Well, you better go get your kayak and deer and try to be more careful next time. I heard the phrase, try to be more careful next time, a lot growing up, and I found it coming out of my mouth without my knowledge. If I had been on the Titanic, I probably would have said it to the captain as the ship was sinking. Try to be more careful next time. I'd say seeing the deer in the kayak was even better than the squirrel on water skis. My only regret is that I forgot to tell the hunter that had left him a present in one of the dry storage compartments of his kayak. I knew he was having a bad day and wanted to cheer him up. Besides, I was done with using my catfish dip bait and thought he might like to try it. I sure hope he finds it before next summer. Tonight's focus on the lure development timeline is on a true classic that was both popular and important and has maybe the best name ever for a lure, the Hedden River Runt. It is a great name, John. What is it with humans and alliteration? River Runt? Road Runner? Rattling Rogue? And Lucy, the Lurematic Computer? Oh yeah, my name uses alliteration too. Okay, never mind. I'm okay with alliteration. John, how is the River Runt as a collectible lure? Well, I mean, the River Runt's an absolute wonderful <laughs> collectible for a couple of reasons. They made a whole bunch of them. So, you know, there's there's uh, ones that aren't terribly rare. So you can get started um, 
at a lower price. An average person can find some fun examples in good condition, starting around $5. Um, another reason the Riverfront motivates so many collectors is that they came in a staggering array of colors and models. Yeah, they really did, John. And you know, the river runs a cool lure. It's a crankbait that ranged in length from about two to five inches. Uh, most of them were in about in the three inch range. It's long and thin and it has a scoop nose that always reminded me of those political cartoons of Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just can't get that out of my mind, but it, it has this little, this like long upturned nose and um, it has a beautiful uh, metal lip attached with screws to make it dive. It comes in floating and sinking versions. Uh, most have double treble hooks, and it's just a beautiful lure, very recognizable. But as you said, John, it's crazy how many color combos it uh, the River Runt comes in, um, and uh, they hadn't created in both for that and for their other baits. A lot of classic colors and patterns are still in use today. Exactly. These designs have, have stood the test of time. I mean, it's not as thin a bait as, say, a, a slim minnow, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it reminds you kind of, you know, how many baits were derived from using broom handles and, and cutting them down to different lengths and then whittling, you know, from there uh, to get, to get uh, your shape. I know that I will not leave the house without a head and tiny torpedo in my kit. Um, I do have one river runt that i fish with from time to time but uh whether it's the the zara spook or the tiny torp uh head designs hold up hold up and hold up well over history they're great lures i think i've owned river runs for my entire fishing life i i really can't remember a time when i didn't have one in my tackle box i fished with them as kids and recently i was visiting my parents and i found an old one in an old tackle box in their garage i mean it's a, a lure that just keeps popping up time and time again it, it certainly is and they're just just too much fun okay so i want to draw in on the visual aspects of river run because we could we could make an hour-long broadcast or a series of broadcasts about this lure i mean heck there's entire books written about this lure but i'm just going to draw in on the visual aspects of the river run tonight but hit us with some backstory if you would please ttbb tell us where this thing came from we use two primary sources to do a little bit of research the first one is mybaitshop.com which is a dynamite place to learn about the history of different lures and buy a few lures while you're at it. They actually have a lot of river runs for sale there. So you can go in a, and, and check them out. And uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And then the other resource is the Whitefish Press website. And uh, Whitefish Press has amazing uh, lure history books. Very detailed. You, you can really go down the rabbit hole and learn everything about um, almost every lure that's out there. And on their website, they include an overview of the book, the River Runt Identification Guide by Tom Jacoment and Dennis Boles. And uh, Wait for Press just has some of, some of the best lure history books you're going to find anywhere. And I really recommend you check them out. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. So the River Runt was a lure derived from a larger old and head and bait called the Vamp. And what's really cool about both lures is that they originally carved out of wood. So, you know, much heavier than the, the plastic versions. Um, they had huge dished out eyes that faced forward and a muzzle that looked to me a little bit like it was based on a pike rather than a small bass or forage fish or a sunfish. Um, as I said before, more like Richard Nixon. Those bass <laughs> love to slam Richard Nixon. That's all I can say. <laughs> and the uh, the original River Run 
saw some limited release from 1929 to 1932 as a wooden lure, but it really took the scene by storm when the plastic models came out in 1933, and it was named the Riverrun Spook. And this is just such a great piece of history. It got its name because the plastic blanks were translucent, and many of the designs were painted in such a way that the light passed through the body of the bait. So to the imaginations of Hedden's design and sales departments in the early 30s, they looked kind of ghostly. So they were called spooks. You just got to love that. And that's true when you look at these, you can really see that the light goes through those. And so, you know, on a bright, sunny day, these things kind of really lit up in the water. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's crazy. Plastic was a new thing. It was a cutting edge material. You know, Hedden was right there on it. And uh, wow, what a plethora of paint jobs. I mean, they had over 50 color combos along with a wide array of variations because they made countless small batches and prototypes. So uh, they had a lot of fun over there. This is so typical of older businesses to have a real creative department that uh, paints up a few lures and then says, what are we going to do with these? And it's like, Oh, give them away or sell them or, you know, but get them out there. Let's, let's see what some of our customers think. And so there's tons and tons of unofficial paint jobs and so forth that you can find. I mean, uh, Tom and Dennis have over 500 different river run pictures in their ID guide. So that kind of gives you an idea of how the creative juices were really cranking over river at uh, heading with the river run and how, what a deep dive you could do if you start getting into some of these backwaters on this lure. It is a lot of different colors. There's, there are the simple paint jobs, like, you know, the uh, typical red and white. Um, and there are more detailed ones that you like a, a frog lure that has the frog spots on there. Then there are the, the flitter models with glitter on the outside, the uh, fish flash models that have like a gold or silver liner inside and scale patterns as well. And uh, finally, the popular favorite, the shore minnow. The shore minnow pattern is really one of the most remarkable patterns ever, in my opinion. I mean, those who are not familiar with Hedden's lures, a shore minnow pattern relies on a background color with a series of contrasting ribs or like herringbones uh, painted down the side. Not only is the pattern one that appeals to fish and anglers, and they still use it today, but I can't help but think it was influenced by the wider world of painting and art going on at the time. I mean, we're talking about 20s and 30s here, uh, modernist movement and so on. I mean, it's just such a cool abstraction of a natural element. It just makes me wonder there wasn't a person or two at head and combining a deep interest in the modern art that was coming along with good fishing sense when they went to design. I don't know. I didn't get that deep into it. I looked him, I tried to find a little more, but, uh, anyway, shore minnow, classic, classic old pattern still around today, still whaling on fish today. And to me, John, that herringbone with a translucent body and that unique river rent shape, it's those three things that just make it so recognizable. There's no other lure that I can think of that really uh, combines those. And it does really have an artistic feel to it. Somebody was very creative. Yeah, it's great to have that kind of environment and that kind of um, human element uh, into such a great, great lure. Now, as far as uh, river runt collectability, it sounds to me from my research that those early plastic models are really hard to come by in good shape. Apparently, the, some of the early plastic they used was not as tough as what they were able to come up with later. And so the stresses of fishing uh, wore a lot of these lures out. Yeah, and I read something about that early plastic. I think that it shrunk over time. And so that it became a little bit unstable. So there aren't as many around. You can look up on eBay and see what these things 
sell for. And you can find um, you can find a nice vintage river run with a, a common paint job in pretty good shape, and you know without a box for um, five to eight bucks. And there's so many different models and ages, and those are going to take you up higher. Um, but I, I really am surprised at how many of these fun runs are being offered for, you know, around 10 bucks, eight bucks. Um, but when you look at them, John, there's just so many different colors. You, you, you know, I go into eBay and I think, Oh, I've never seen that color. I've never seen this one because there are just so many different variations that they have, but you can definitely find some good deals now and then. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and I noticed something on eBay uh, when we can add a box, when we can add a box. We're in great shape. Um, I also see boxes being just sold, you know, separately, but, uh, talk to us about when you add a box, how does that help? Well, the boxes are often collectible in their own rate, especially if they're in good shape and you get these cardboard boxes. We're so used today to either, um, you know, blister packs and, and things like that. But some of the old boxes were just beautiful. Um, and, but the, they were made of cardboard. So they obviously don't hold up quite as well as the, the plastic lures did. But if you find old lure boxes in good shape, they're highly collectible in and of themselves. You can pay, you know, 10 to 25 bucks just for a, a box. But the real feat is to match the box and the lure by the catalog number. Sometimes a lure will be in the box, but it's not what its original box was. And so the real collectors are trying to not only collect the lure, but then the box that they went in um, as well. And that gets a much higher value than either of those sold separately. Well. I see here on your notes that uh, these prices for the more common river runs quickly gives way to all sorts of different models with higher values. Uh, it's crazy. There's just so much cool, fun stuff that surrounds this single fishing lure. And, and that's why, John, some of the colors might be more rare than others. So there was a mint river run with a box that recently sold on eBay for 53 bucks, you know, for, for one lure. Um, they go for much more than that even. But, you know, some of the more common ones are, are going to be um, a lot less. Your wife, Kathy, is a professional picker. She's used to finding antiques and everything. So what advice would she give to our listeners when it comes to buying these vintage lures? Uh, main thing I think to start with condition is king. So when you're looking at price and you wonder why one's more expensive or what have you anyway, get lures that are at least in good condition all, and don't be afraid to dicker and don't get your feelings hurt if you can't come to an agreement, but uh, don't be afraid to try. Um, and then she always uh, says, you know, be ready to walk away if they won't, uh, you know, come toward you, then, uh, there's plenty of deals out there. So if you don't get this one, um, there's another one to be had, but her most important advice would probably be to say, collect what you like, collect what you're having fun with. Don't worry too much about value. Uh, if you happen to like the shore minnow pattern and want to collect, you know, right in that, that niche great. If you just happen to want to get all the yellow or yellowish river runs you can find, you know, that's great. Um, don't let the, the, have fun with the values and dream on about the, the big expensive fines, but don't let it spoil your fun. That's the great thing about river run. You can have a awful fun collection, uh, without putting out a lot of money. It's going to be colorful. It's going to be fun and, uh, just do what you enjoy. And a lot of those lures, it's not about the value of the lure. It's the memories that are attached to it. One of the memories that I have, and I don't know what the official color name is, but I, I call it fire tiger. It's the orange and green. And I had a river runt in that color as a kid. 
And whenever I see one of those, that is my favorite color, not because it catches fish, because I have such memories of, of that lure. And I think that's the fun is when these uh, these lures tie generations together and, you know, you can look at one and it brings back those great memories of, of fishing as a kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pure wisdom right there. Um, you know, I'll throw my old black and white shore minnow pattern around and uh, enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, but I've, uh, got a couple, uh, put away. So that's my advice here on closing. I think, you know, you, one great thing about the river run, you can go out and buy one, put it in your active tackle box and you can buy another one, put it in your tackle box, your old vintage tackle box, where you keep your vintage lures and have a, have a user and have a saver because they're certainly within reach for you in that, uh, type of situation. It has been the number one lip bait for decades and it still works today. Warning, warning, Lure News Alert, Lure News Alert. According to an article in the Jackson newspapers, Brandon and Amanda Vance are independent insurance agents with their own insurance agency in Ripley, West Virginia. In the article, Brandon said, I don't know what happened. Now we're an insurance office and also a bait and tackle shop. The sign in front of their business reads Vance's General Store Bait and Tackle with a smaller sign underneath that says insurance. Many of the fishing lures they sell are handcrafted in Jackson County, and they sell those huge musky lures that we love so much. No, you know we love them. I, you just got some big musky lures, as a matter of fact, including the duck, the mighty, mighty duck. But yes, I, did. I, I can't wait to see a, a huge fish take that baby duck off the surface. <laughs> the Vancers are using social media to find lure makers to feature in the store. And they're open uh, seven days a week from nine to nine. And you can also follow them on Facebook. We'll include a, a link in the show notes. But John, this is a great story on so many levels. And I hope the Vances are not only hugely successful in their business, but also start a trend of fishing lures being sold in other businesses. For example, I think when you go to the movies, you should be able to buy a large popcorn and a few hula poppers at the same time. You follow me? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And especially if the movie is about a sea monster or fishing or any sort of thematically water related movie, there should be some fishing lure tie. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I go to the dentist, I shouldn't just go home with clean teeth. I want a dozen Panther Martins in my pocket or say I'm picking up my shirt from the dry cleaners. Why not pick up some dry flies at the same time? Or you order a pepperoni pizza, you get a Pico perch with it. This is what I'm talking about. This is a big idea. There should be a lure store in every other store the way there's a Starbucks in every other store. Wow. You're, you're, you know, you're heating up there, Tim. I mean, but, but really, man, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's getting to me. Your, your, your excitement is infectious. I'm starting to see, you know, lure kiosks everywhere. I love, I just love it. So we're going to put a, a link to this news article and uh, the Vance's Facebook page. And uh, hopefully we'll, see more of these lure stores opening. And if they're really lucky, they'll go out of the insurance business altogether and just be doing full-time lures. There you go. There you go. A story on WDBR TV in Louisville, Kentucky says that an eight-year-old named Logan boy didn't just set up a lemonade stand this past summer. He set up a fishing lure stand. Logan and his parents sold the hand poured plastics they made at Shepherdsville farmer's market. And they sold them about $5 a bag. And the company is called Boyd's Bites. When they're not at the farmer's market selling those plastic baits, Logan has a stand in front of his house. The business began on Facebook, and Logan, who is autistic, 
makes a lot of the decisions about the baits, especially color choices. He also massages the scent into the lures after putting them into the bags. John, now I don't know about you, um, but I have never fished before with a hand massaged plastic bait. And I think this is a great idea. His fingers getting that scent into those plastics. This is a very unique feature. Hey, you get, you know, you get the love and you get the luck and you get the Logan in there. It, it, it's just got to be positive. It's all the way around. I just love the story. What a great, great idea. And, you know, growing up and kids selling lemonade and you, you, you'd see adults stop by and think it was cute, but this is on a whole different level. Selling the plastics in front of your house. What gets better than that? You know, I don't know. And I think it's awesome that he has a great neighborhood, great parents, great community, and that he can do something like that. I just think it's wonderful that, that he's able to pour enough stuff and, and is having fun with it. And it's um, stimulating his creativity. He's teaching him about business and about niche marketing because he has the only hand massaged plastics anywhere in Kentucky. I guarantee you. <laughs> if not the entire Mid-South. So way to go, way to go, Logan. We're all, we're behind you 110%, brother. Now, John, when I was a kid, there was something, I don't know if you remember this, Creepy Crawlers, which was a, it was a little metal plate and you'd pour plastic into it and you can make different shapes, including some bugs and worms. And we fished with them. We would make these now. It wasn't that really soft plastic. It was a little bit uh, harder, um, but I just loved doing that growing up. And I could see him being eight years old, helping to pour those plastics. I mean, it is just a ball to do something like that when you're a kid. It's an absolute ball. I remember creepy crawlers. We always had a blast with those things. And then when they first uh, started producing poor kits for plastic worms, I had one. So I know that he is having a, a whale of a time and uh, it's a great way to get into lure crafting. So if maybe you're not wanting to tie or do something like that, think about pouring a few plastics. It's an awful lot of fun. I think our listeners should go to the Boyd's Bates Facebook page and buy a bag of plastics right now, and we will put a link in the show notes. That's it for another episode of Lure Love. Make sure to visit our website at www.lurelovepodcast.com and also our Facebook page. And don't forget to ask yourself this important question. Why buy one lure when you can buy 103? Lure Love, you to tie to the end of my line Lure love Can't I make you see Why buy five lures and you can buy a hundred